Hey everyone, James Labrie from Dream Theater, and you're listening to or watching the podcast Talking Into Infinity with JT and Brian. You're dialed into Talking Into Infinity, a Dream Theater podcast. Be a part of the show live every other Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on YouTube, Facebook, TalkingIntoInfinity.com, or the CMSNetwork.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Talking Into Infinity, a Dream Theater podcast. I am your host, John. We are live on Facebook, YouTube, TalkingIntoInfinity.com, and the CMSNetwork.com. We are at those four fine locations every other Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can catch video replays of the show on our main hub, which is Heavy Metal Television, or you can check out our YouTube page. And if you are on our YouTube page, do not forget to click the like and subscribe buttons so that you get notified every single time that we go live. For example, Saturday, June 25th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You are not going to want to miss that very special episode. And if you would like to visit audio downloads of our podcast, just Google Talking Into Infinity Podcast or go to anchor.fm. And we are on any number of platforms, and you can download any one of our 35 to 36 episodes. I always forget the number. So check it out. Without further ado, let me bring on my very good friend and co-host, Brian. What's going on, man? What's going on, buddy? I am fresh off, if you'd like to hear about it, two days ago was Symphony X at the Cleveland Agora. Oh, no, I wouldn't. But uh, So what else is going on? <laughs> you set yourself up. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So before we get into tonight's topic, which is a really interesting concept that you came up with. So you went to Symphony X at you know the Cleveland Agora. So what, what, what happened at Symphony X? Who was the opener, first of all? Uh, first band was called Trope, and uh, no offense, I have no idea what they sounded like. I did not make it there. Um, a little bit too early for me uh, to get okay. there. Okay. it's going to be late night. So I did want to make it for Haken, which was a second band. And I believe that is was Portnoy's backup band when he did played on one of those cruise. Cruise like, to the rock, Edge, I think. Yeah, yeah, Cruise to the Edge. Yeah, I mean, you talk about, oh, my God. It's kind of a combo of Devin Townsend meets... I don't know, meets Yes, meets Rush with some like periphery DT thrown in. A uh, little bit of Primus, but like not the super annoying aspects, more the fun, you know, <laughs> aspects, I guess. Right. And uh, yeah, I mean, great show. I mean, I, I, I did, you know, full disclosure, I knew nothing about the band going in. I went on, saw, hey, what's their set list? What are they going to play? I downloaded their whole set list a couple days ahead of time, dug all the songs. I mean, just, just a super tight, great band, two guitars, sure. singer um just awesome musically and then symphony x came on and if there is a singer out there in rock and metal that sounds as good and clean as powerful as russell allen does live right now i'd love to know who it is i mean he absolutely you dude you would have loved it man really I mean, he was just dead on point i mean just belting it all out there and i was telling uh, i went with uh, you know uh, bob co-worker of mine bob heard sure. shout out if he's listening and, <laughs> and we we kind of came up with the idea that maybe the pandemic you know maybe helped helped a guy like that you know that they tour a lot maybe you know and they tour all over the world too so maybe 
maybe a year or two off, you know, rejuvenated him. Not that I've ever heard him sound bad, but I mean, he just sounded like a guy who was just reborn to, 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 to do this. And uh, right. it was an hour and a half nonstop. And uh, they ended with the Odyssey, which I know you weren't like a huge fan of on the album. You, you thought it was okay, but live, I mean, really, really cool. Like it was I was just- going to, I was going to say live. That has to be. Yeah, it has was, to be awesome. You know, and and if unless I really was missing something, they really didn't do a ton of like extra backing tracks or anything with that. It was pretty much all played live. I think it was missing a little bit of the orchestration that you hear, but I still okay. thought it came off awesome, man. I mean, it just yeah, Russell Allen just. But it was you know the only annoying thing was your typical. You know how as you get to a show and you're all hyped up and like the first song, you're like, okay, what are they doing with the sounds? <laughs> like, why does it take three songs? <laughs> to get you know i mean you know that they got there for a sound check i'm not blaming the band but it's like you know the first song they start out with nevermore obviously which everyone knew they were gonna start with sound you know and you're like okay like he, he sounds great singing but the guitar's not cutting through it's like okay michael romeo's guitar should be punching you like through your guts you know what i mean it should be coming up <laughs> right. back of you like the way you mix that guitar because that's what makes that whole band you know yeah so it took like so- three songs to get it to get the mix going so our buddy uh, Jean-Philippe Lavoie says, I saw Haken and Symphony X in Quebec City last Friday. Was a blast. So another another positive review. And uh, from what you told me, you also ran into our good buddy Robert Reams. And he's checking in. Good to see you, man. He says, such a great show. Russell Allen was incredible. So... Yeah, it was a weird thing. So I think I told you we I, I was trying to find balcony seats. Well... Here's the thing. They didn't open the balcony at all. Wow. I thought what I ended up having was balcony seats because it, you know, it said a seat number and it showed it kind of in the middle. Uh-huh. And it, said, it said like premier seating. And I was like, oh, well, I just assume this is, you know, whatever. Something opened up or, you know, it was a little more expensive, but no big deal. And then they're like, oh, no, it's down by the soundboard. And I'm like, and Bob and I are like, I bet it's those like stools they put like right in front of the railing by the soundboard. <laughs> so you're literally right. like, I don't know, 25 feet from the stage. I mean, is there a better place to, to view? You know, you get set your drink there and uh, Robert was standing there and the people that had the seats by us, it was really weird. Like I, maybe they were just big Haken fans. Cause like the second song they were gone and he kept standing there and I'm like, dude, they're not coming back. So he got to sit there and, uh, Oh, by the way, you owe me 20 bucks for that seat, even though I didn't pay for that. One. So, <laughs> but, you know, nice. The whole concept of it, it's $20 extra to sit in one of those stools right there. There's like 15 of them around the whole, like just put those damn things all on those railings. You know what I mean? Like don't yeah. let people stand up there. So, I know. Anyway, great show, and uh, I, I can't wait to see him again. And and uh, just an awesome performance and a great venue and uh, fun night of music, man. I hadn't got to go out to a show for a while. That's killer. Yeah, I, I man, it, I feel bad that I wasn't able to go. I was supposed, to, I, I was supposed to have a work event, and then I ended up not having to go after I had already. You were, it was already Tuesday, and so I couldn't hit you back. And be like, oh, I'm gonna go now. And then Aiken asked me to do an episode of Chris Aiken Presents, so I ended up podcasting that night. I was like, son of a bitch, I could have been at a concert. I love <laughs> podcasting with Aiken, don't get me wrong, but um, nice. you know, going to see a live show with you would have been even better, I think. So, uh, Speaking of Aiken, you also recently appeared on an episode of Chris Aiken Presents. Uh, why don't you tell everybody what that's about, since it's more content that they can get from us? <laughs> well, I don't know. It was supposed to be sort of a battle between Operation Mind Crime and Wasp the Crimson Idol. And it sort of went off in a bunch of different tangents. <laughs> so I went back and rewatched to give you a little bit of shout out on Chris Aiken Prevents with John Drake. You guys did, was it Injustice for All versus Rust in Peace? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which that's a little more evenly balanced and fair. You know, those are two kinds of like <laughs> A little bit. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, 
don't get me wrong. I, I really did do. I kind of forgot how much I did actually enjoy Crimson Idol, but sort of. So we sort of ended up deciding. Well, we can't really compare them track by track, but we did a pretty decent uh, deep dive, and Chris gave me some, you know, some good insight on Blackie and stuff I didn't know about. And, uh, and then I did my usual at the end. I started going off on a tangent about Lord knows what. So. <laughs> <laughs> in our show right <laughs> yeah well but that, yeah that, go, go, that, go check it out it's on the cms network here it's chris aiken presents it's uh crimson idol i don't know even know what it's called crimson idol versus mind crime or something sure yeah i i, I actually started listening to it and it sounds great man I, I haven't gotten all the way through yet but uh my wife was on an episode the other day so i've been i've been immersed in chris aiken presents for the last couple days along with preparation for tonight's episode which was really difficult for me to find a show description for i I had several people like what the hell are you talking about this week and i was like you know what i really don't know how to describe this so i'm gonna let you describe it because this was an idea that you came up with like about two months ago and i think it's a really cool idea and since you know right now we're a little bit light on dream theater news until we get into james's new record uh which comes out tomorrow as we're recording this on Thursday night, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna dig into that really deeply. That's gonna be a really cool event that you guys are not gonna want to miss. Uh, and we can tell you that we have had the record for a bit because we did interview Paul, so we got a promotional copy from the label, and it is fantastic. It is a great listen, a great listen. So you guys will really really enjoy that. Um, but back to the topic. You had a very interesting idea for a show, so why don't you explain what we're doing tonight? Okay, what are we doing tonight, John? <laughs> no, I, 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 how, how did I, I set you up so, and you fail miserably. Oh, of course, you knew I was going to. No, so we, it was something along the lines of, okay, it's 1989, and Dream and Day Unite does not exist, or we don't have money to buy that, or we can't buy it because it's not in stock, or it's not in... It's not on the it's show. Banned. Right? I, your it's original, banned. Your original topic was it's banned, so you can't get it anywhere. Okay, it's banned, so you can't get it anywhere. So basically, what album or albums are you going to go get instead? Yeah. So and rather of just being like just one, because that would be a pretty short episode, we <laughs> decided on, uh, we were we originally said 10, then we cut it down to eight. Yeah. I think what we ended up with. So we got eight, which is kind of weird because our last episode when we were talking about Minecraft, that's 1988, so we're only a year later here. Yeah. And we actually do end up with, I think, one band that had an album in both years. So I'm sure you probably have that on your list. So we have a top eight. I I guess I ranked mine. I don't know. I looking at them. I kind of had them ranked. You said yours are ranked chronologically. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I found the release dates, and so I went through pretty much anything that was released in 1989, and I was like, okay. If I w- went to the record store looking for when Dream and Day Unite and was told that record is unavailable, it's banned, you can't get it anywhere, just forget it, you got to buy something else. I was like, which of these records would I buy? And I wrote down all the ones that I'd be into, and then I whittled off ones where I only knew a couple songs and um, you know, other ones. I was like, yeah, maybe not. So I, I got it down to a solid eight, and there's really only one record that I'm not overly familiar with on my list, but I'm familiar with the band and I love the band. So it would kind of be one of those, oh, that band? Yeah, I don't know any, I don't really know much, but I know it's going to be good. So I'm going to buy that. So I have that one. But the rest of them I'm really familiar with. And it was fun for me because I was like, oh, that one? 
oh, that one, no shit. Like, so I got to go back and listen to some stuff that I haven't listened to in quite a while, which was, you know, at Joe Gebhardt, man. I was just about to use this word. He says, Joe Gebhardt, this will be fun. Yeah, it was cool to go back and listen to some of this stuff and go, man, like, I... I forgot how good this record is. And the reason I think this is a cool idea is because we can do this for every year that Dream Theater has a record. Now, granted, getting into some more modern stuff, I don't know how the hell we're going to find eight albums that we're going <laughs> to... You know, it's like we're going to be scraping bottom of the barrel for it, but, um, you know... Yeah. Well, rather than do them chronologically, why don't you do them like by release date? So, like, the first one and then, like, you know, yeah. the release one that year. Yeah. So, yeah, like I said, I, I just have it mine aren't ranked so uh kale asks is this albums that were released in 89 or up to 89 no kale this is they, they have to be released in 1989 so when dream we and day unite nine total albums. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we could have 89 records wait hold on time i don't want to cut you off but kale kale sent us a very specific message that he had gotten a job aren't you supposed to be at work young man <laughs> Brian's going all parents on him. Yeah, I got that. No, on I got story. it. He said he started yeah. a new job today. So, did you already quit, Kale? <laughs> he didn't feel like going. He'd rather he'd <laughs> he'd rather check out a Dream Theater podcast than go to his new job. Kale Kale's being responsible. So, all right. So, do you want me to go first, or would you like to go first? Now you go ahead, man. All right. So, I pulled up album covers for mine. So my first choice, this, is, this was released on January 24th of 1989. I chose the self-titled Skid Row record. Nice. So, yeah, this, this was a record that when it came out, uh, I got it as a gift for my older brother. It was, uh, it was a Christmas present. He had gotten me a gift certificate to the local record store and we were hanging out. He's like, you want to go use that gift certificate? I was like, yeah. And I had heard the singles, of course, uh, at least whatever singles were at that time. And I was like, I got to get that. So I went out and I grabbed, you know, the first Skid Row record and I loved it, man. I mean, to this day, I mean, I'm not the biggest Skid Row fan, but I mean, this is definitely their most solid album. I mean, Slave to the Grind is heavier, and there's some really cool moments on that record for that reason. But that one just kind of seemed like, here's some heavy riffs, and hey, Sebastian Bach can scream real high, so let's just do that the whole time yeah. and throw in a couple of ballads. But you know, this, this first Skid Row record, man, it's a total riff fest. It's almost like a heavier version of Rat in spots, but it's definitely more rock than hair metal, I think. And um, I, it was just a cool record, man. It was, it was fun. It was it was It was just an easy listen and i dug it and i hadn't gone back to this in a long time and i forgot how solid this album really is i mean the singles are obvious so i kind of skipped over those because who needs to hear 18 in life again but the other songs there's some kick-ass riffs on this man so i I thought this was a solid record all right so full disclosure when we go for forward tell me what format you bought it on was this on cassette or cd or do you remember Everything back then was was uh, cassette. Cassette. I mean, okay. yeah. When CDs had come out. I I forget when CDs came out, but I didn't get into CDs right away because I I was so used to buying cassettes. So it took me a couple years to actually get into you know that format. Yeah. Yeah. No. A great album. I mean, it, first time I ever heard Youth Gone Wild. I was like, what in the hell is that? Yeah. Yep. You know, this was one of those where I didn't. 
I didn't buy this one, but you know, you know, the old tape trading and all right, well, my buddy bought it. So I'll go record it off of him and damn near wore the thing out, you know? Yep. And, uh, yeah, I mean, can't stand the heartache, uh, rattlesnake shit. I mean, all that stuff, piece of me. I mean, it just super heavy and, and great riffs and those huge, massive anthemic courses, you know, and just pile on tons of delay and reverb and, and <laughs> right. just soaring, you know, like, and, and I was lucky enough to see them, uh, open for Bon Jovi and they, damn near you know took a tore him off the stage yeah for sure it, it was i mean it was yeah it was they sounded amazing very cool yeah i think i think uh you're gonna know probably a lot more about the records i picked than i will about yours potentially but we're gonna find out uh now it you know pretty much right now so let's let's get into your first choice what what is your first uh record on your list i've got tesla the great radio controversy i was wondering if you were gonna have that one okay yeah, second Tesla album, had it on CD. Absolutely love the first two Tesla albums. Um, the guitars on this just just fly right off of the, well, I had the CD, so fly right off the CD. <laughs> You're like, right. the riffs. I don't know. I mean, they had really solid production on the first one. I think it was like the, that those guys that did Appetite were us on Mechanical Resonance. And I'm not totally positive who produced this, but, man, just super clean, massive guitars and Frank Cannon and Tommy Skiak, I think, just very underrated as far as like being able to just do those cool little riffs and tricks and things. They're just, you know, when you find yourself those kind of songs we've talked about before, when you're like you're humming the guitar parts and not just the main riff, but like, oh, it's going to do this here, you know, whatever. I can't think yeah. of an example right now, of course. <laughs> but like, I mean, you start out with Hang Tough, Lady Luck, Heaven's Trail, that grinding blues or, you know, did it for the money. Um making magic i mean jeff keith sounds amazing on this too like um, you know love song classic classic 80s ballad i guess yeah <clears throat> but uh, yeah i put that at number eight probably it's tough to say if i like this more than mechanical resonance i mean it'd be like 1a and 1b i guess i mean a lot of people consider psychotic supper kind of their i don't know their um maybe more sophisticated heavier album more uh, mature i guess is the word for it with you know edison's medicine and stuff like that on it okay i don't think the songs you know i don't think the songs can touch great radio controversy like just great songs on there yeah i i thought about that when i thought about listening to it but i'm not overly familiar with tesla it's a band that never really grabbed me um maybe it's because i only really know the hits i mean Really, I mean, my favorite song of theirs is a cover. It's like, you know, I love signs. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I thought about this one because I'm like, okay, if I went back and listened to this, what if it's better than some of the stuff that I was listening to back then? And I, you know, I went and listened to the records I picked and I was like, damn, no, I like, I like these. I don't know if anything's going to supplant it with like one day of research <laughs> being done. Yeah. So, well, at some point, right. you, you got to check out. Uh, that Tesla. Let me know what you think. I'm just curious. Yeah, email me when we're done. Email me your list because I'm okay. I'm jumping on a plane on Monday morning to head out to L.A. Sunset Strip, so uh, nice. I'll have plenty of time to uh, listen to some stuff I've never heard before. That'll be that'll be good plane listening. So, all right, getting on to my number two. This one was released on January 30th of 1989. This is Exodus Fabulous Disaster. So this is the one where I wasn't really familiar with it, but 
I've seen Exodus live a couple times, and I'm like, these guys are fucking awesome. So I figured I would love it, and uh, sure enough, I loved it. And uh, you know, it's got Toxic Waltz on it, so I mean that in it, that in itself is is just you know a kick ass tune. But you know, it's one of those things that you know when you buy an Exodus record, you know what you're going to get. And I am one of those people that just enjoys that. I'm not the biggest fan of bands I like making a a hard left turn at any point. It's like, man, I, you know, it's cool. I get it. You want to be an artist, but you know, we've used the example a couple times on the show. Going, you know, Queensrÿche, you know, from something like Empire to something like Here in the Now Frontiers. Like, what the hell are you doing? So, you know. I saw this on the list and I was like, you know what? Yeah, I I think I'm going I think I'm going with Exodus. And I, I put this one in and listened to it a couple times. I'm like, damn, this is great. Like it's just so damn good. That late eighties just speed metal. And I'm like, fuck yeah, dude, good pick. <laughs> so I don't know if you're familiar with this one or not, but Oh yeah, man. I love this album. Uh, I did I, I had it on my uh runners up or did we did we decide is it runners up or runner ups? <laughs> yeah is it runner ups or runners up <laughs> we couldn't figure so, it out yeah man i the song the one song i love on there is that cajun hell cajun yeah cajun hell <laughs> so, yeah. it's kind of based off there's a movie from i think it's 1981 where it's a bunch of uh like state troopers get like somehow like trapped like in the south in the bayou okay. or whatever and they're like totally in the backwoods, and like these people are basically like hunting them, you know, like these these bad yeah. people in there. I have, I have to, I'll, I'll probably find the name of the movie later by the end of the show, but uh, that's kind of where it's lyrically taken from. But I love the two covers on here. There's the ACDC overdose, yeah. Um, the way this that starts a dig dig down and down and then like low rider. How can you make yeah. a song like low rider sound cool? That's like the stupidest song ever. Well, <laughs> like, it comes in like ow my friends yeah. <laughs> like it's like hell no yeah, dude those those guitar harmonies and they're like trilling each other ding 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 and sometimes there's even like three of them going you know and those little harmonies yep. and melodies going there and they get the you know the little squawks and harmonics and shit it's it's so so cool man i mean they totally it's it's exactly like you're saying you know what you're going to get from this band especially when they do a cover they're going to completely exodus it up with those guitars yeah I just I just think Exodus is so underrated. Like I, I don't listen to them a ton, so it's hard for me to say that with any true conviction. But I just know that everything I've heard I liked. Every time I've seen them live, they're just absolutely killer. So, you know, they just man, they're so good. Yeah, I saw so. the tour before this. Uh this is probably my second favorite Exodus. My favorite is the Pleasures of the Flesh. I I got to see them live on that tour with Armored Saint, man. They just destroyed. Like they were so okay. good. So our our buddy Kale McLeish brings up a few a uh, few of his choices. He says, "Okay, Doctor Feelgood, Motley Crue, Trash, Alice Cooper, Real Thing, Faith No More, Pump, Aerosmith, A Show of Hands, and Presto by Rush." Yeah, I didn't know Presto was in '89 because I was. It was weird because I was like sitting there going, "How come I can't find any Rush albums?" I guess I didn't look hard enough. I wondered if you were going to have that on there or not on your list because if I remember right. Is it isn't that like during their run of kind of albums that are considered kind of crappy, like the like the synthesizer records or whatever? Um, well, this is actually the first one they go back to to minimal stuff. Okay. Um, yeah, this is like the first one coming out of that. But a lot of people do not like this album. Okay. Um, I think it's actually a, a really cool album, um, and it probably should be in my top eight now that I realize it's in <laughs> sure. here. But uh, well, yeah, Kale, great album, man. 
All right. So what is next on your list? And you're go- you're you actually ranked them like bottom to top. Yeah, I mean it's you know okay. <laughs> it's like right. I did, but looking back, uh, so I've got White Lion Big Game. Okay, and all right. I I considered that one. It's hilarious because I literally was texting Aiken about this last um, Saturday. We we're just kind of touching base about doing our, the show or whatever. And I said, "Hey, man, just question about White Lion." And I like I remember the first time I saw the video for Little Fighter. I thought it was just the greatest like melodic rock tune I'd ever heard. Like just I mean, oh man, Vito Prada's playing so good on that. And uh, so when I got the album, and at the time I was not a massive fan of the album. I thought it was kind of okay, but it's really kind of grown on me. It's like the songs are sort of like almost like folkier than 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 you realize. You know what I mean? Like it it's okay. definitely doesn't have the flavor of pride and and it's it's a different flavor than the main attraction for sure. But man, I don't know, there's just something about you feel like you could sit down with a lot of these songs and just grab an acoustic guitar and 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 and, and probably jam away on them, you know. And, and I I sort of didn't pick up on that feel originally just cuz you know, you see white line you're thinking of oh, big hair and Mike Tramp and his spandex and stuff, you know. Yeah, but just just some just solid songwriting, I think, you know. And, and Vito, he's the epitome of what I was saying. With you, literally hum every guitar note he plays, like <laughs> like him and Eddie Eddie Van Halen. I think are the only yeah. two that I've ever known where it's like, okay, he's constantly playing a note, but it's constantly fits, and and I don't care, you know. It's like it's just the melody's so good. So yeah, I put like uh, White Lion, Big Game in there. Awesome. Yeah, I I'm much more familiar with Pride. Uh, which is great out, especially like you said. For if you love guitar, man, Vito Brada, holy god! I can't believe that guy just up and quit. Can you imagine being that good and just quitting? That that is staggering to me. But um, yeah, I mean th- that one I considered, but I'm not as familiar with it as I am, as I said, with Pride. And honestly, White Line, like I enjoy them. And every once in a while, I'll put on a song, and go, oh yeah, and I'll listen to a bunch of it. But it's not something I like reach for. So. I, I, I didn't put it on my list for that reason. It's it's cool, but not something I'm like, I'm in the record store against the other stuff on my list, uh, which I think there's going to be two surprising, uh, two surprising selections. I think the rest pretty much tells you what kind of music I was into back then and still am. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it almost made my list. I think that would have been one of my runner-ups or runners-up, depending on what we're calling it. <laughs> so all right, coming in at number three on my list, this one was released... On February 7th of 1989. So if I walked into a record store and I could not buy When Dream and Day Unite and had to buy something else, I would choose Blessing in Disguise by Metal Church. I think this is a kick-ass record. Uh, it's one of my two favorite Metal Church albums. The, the first one, this is probably a common selection for a lot of people, but Human Factor is my favorite. This Metal Church record I just think doesn't get enough love. I think there's a couple that the the Titanic song "Rest in Pieces" is it's weird, but it's a really cool tune. Uh, Badlands is one of my favorite metal songs ever. It's got just a massive chorus to it. Uh, opening the record with "Fake Healer," I, I think this this record is like side one heavy because I think the songs on the on the second side aren't as strong, but the first four or five tunes are so goddamn good that it's like. It, it just carries the whole album, so I, I had this. God, I think I, I think I didn't get this one till like the mid '90s when I started really kind of researching bands I was into and other bands that sounded like them or influenced them, and that's how I found Metal Church. 
and I was like, what the hell? This is great. So, um, yeah, this this is just a really cool listen for me. And this was one of the ones when I went back and listened to it, I was like, damn, I forgot how great this is. So, yeah, Metal Church, Blessing in Disguise, anchored by about, you know, there's three songs on here that I absolutely love, and the rest of it's pretty solid. Well, full disclosure, they lost me after the dark. I love the first two Metal really? albums. Now, is this still David Wayne or no? No, this is Mike Howe. I think it yeah. might be the first one with Mike Howe. See, yeah. I love his voice. I absolutely love Mike Howe's voice. I, I don't know that I minded his voice. I just thought their sound just, I don't know. It was. This is one, since you're going to listen to someone, I will go back and listen to this again because I'm curious what I think of it now. But I remember at the time, I was just like, man, they just, I don't know, whatever they had, those guitar stuff that like Vanderhoof had going on, like just from the first two albums, I didn't hear it on this. So I don't know. I'll, I'll go back and check this one out again. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, the early metal church stuff didn't really grab me as much as the, the Mike Howe stuff. I, I, it might, it might've been the voice like, you know, David Howe has got a great voice and whatnot or David, uh, uh, David Wayne. Thank you. Sorry. Yeah. David Wayne, like he's got a cool voice and everything, but I'm just so partial to Mike Howe. He's one of my favorite singers in metal. And I, I think this guy never got nearly enough credit for how awesome he was. And, you know, he was in the band recently and still sounded kick-ass. I mean, they sounded great. Did, I, they, I, did both these guys pass away? Yeah, Mike Howe committed suicide uh, last year. And I think Wayne died, died a while back, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. Yeah. yeah, maybe it's maybe it's not a good idea to be the singer in Metal Church. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I mean, do, do you, I will say one thing about David Wayne's voice. I mean, that's that's probably a love it or hate it. There's not going to be much of middle ground. I mean, that's a real high, massive shriek, especially the turn from the first album to the dark, where it was like up in the stratosphere. Yeah, there's even yeah. a couple on there where I'm like, all right, man, let's let's tone it down just a tad. <laughs> <Which> <laughs> sure. probably what they were just sort of sick of like hearing that style, like, you know, which I, I get, but I don't know. They just kind of lost me, but I will check this out though. Yeah. Like, like I say, I think, I think the second half after badlands gets kind of, I mean, it's, it's good, but I mean the, the front, the front half through badlands is just kick ass. So I'd, I'd say, you know, that's, that's the, definitely the strong point of the album. All right, so what is next on your list of uh, albums I've, that you would buy in 1989 if you were not permitted to buy When Dream and Day Unite? Well, a funny thing about this album is nobody knew a damn thing about it when it came out, and this is one you will not go listen to whatsoever, I'm sure. Nine Inch Nails, Pretty Hate Machine. Oh, right. Time to boot you from the show for a good three minutes. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and mute me. <laughs> oh, I cannot stand. Yeah, I mean, the, the video Nails. and everything from this didn't even get popular until almost two years later. Um, cause this was after I moved to Cleveland, I didn't get to Cleveland until 91. So I don't know if they like totally re-released this or once he got on Lollapalooza, it started taking off. I don't know the exact history behind all this, but, uh, he couldn't get arrested back in 89 when this first came out. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. Like it, it took like two, two, nice. two, two years for this album to, to, to me anything, but yeah, I just, you know, I know you hate this album and, and are not a Trent fan, but I think this is one of the most important, like albums and set the tone for 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 trent and just what he's become now which is like just an amazing composer does soundtrack stuff and i mean he's working with like i mean you know people that are like in the top 40 stuff now i just hey trent can you come produce and make an album yeah. still does you know just i just think he's a musical genius and uh, i love this album yeah i uh 
I'm it, he's one of those guys that like I'm not a fan of the music. I'm not a fan of him. Whatever, but I have the utmost respect for him because of the talent that's there. It's just not something that I'm into at all. I yeah. I I do not like super electronic digital sounding stuff. I it's just not my cup of tea at all. I you know I discovered music because of Van Halen and that raw just natural dudes just smashing away on four or five instruments and just going for it live that has never really left me so the the trent reznor style and everything and and all that kind of stuff the industrial sound is like just not not for me so yeah that i saw that on the list i was like well that's and i honestly i thought the same thing that you did i was like that came out in 89 like i remember that like when i was in high school i thought but yeah yeah, I think it came out again or something, or 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 was you know when they got on that Lollapalooza is when it really took off. Go ahead. Okay, no, sorry. Uh, Joe Gebhardt says haven't heard it, but Mother's Milk by Red Hot Chili Peppers came out in 1989 as well. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff on here that were like bands that I know very well, or at least I'm familiar with, and like it seems like these really underground records that were out before they broke came out this year. So that was kind of interesting. I think Green Day had like a record like. 1000 something or others i forget what it's called like green day had a record that was pretty much right before dookie and there was a couple there's a couple uh instances of that when i went through a list of what was released this year so um so i mean do you still get into nine inch nails or is it just this one record or yeah i still i mean i still like to try to go see him almost every chance i get um i'm not gonna go to the I can't remember if they've already had or if it's coming up a show here that if they think it was a blossom i decided to pass on but I mean, just live what he does visually. No one puts the time and effort into a visual show and technology the way Trent does. I mean, I, to the point where I, I don't even think he probably makes money on it. There's so much expense that goes into, you know, the, the way the show is put on and everything. But, uh, yeah, I, st- I still love pretty much everything he does, you know. Okay. Uh, be cool or be podcast out. Good to see you, man. He says, King's X, Gretchen goes to Nebraska. So uh, we'll wait to see. Be cool. But I I actually, when I saw that one, I thought that might be one that Hendrickson has on his list. So we will have to see if he's got that on there. Uh, moving on to my number four. This one was released on April 7th of 1989. And if I walked into a record store and was not permitted to buy When Dream and Day Unite, I would buy Beneath the Remains by Sepultura. Um, you cannot go wrong with early Sepultura up through Chaos AD, especially you know the thrashier stuff. I mean, Arise is just damn near a perfect thrash record, I think. And um, this is, again, a record that when I went back and listened to it, I was like, damn dude i forgot about this i mean they were playing so fast (laughs) and the way that max writes his riffs it's almost like he's you know either the way he's writing the riffs or the way that igor's playing the drums like it's almost like you know the snares on the upbeat instead of the downbeat they have a really unique sound in terms of like the speed and like where where the hits are coming from and man it was i i the, the one thing i forgot and i laughed when it happened was you know, the album opens with the first track and it, it's kind of like um, uh, Fight Fire with Fire by Metallica where you've got this nice little intro and then it, you know, comes into this heavy thing. Well, I'd forgotten that the Sepultura thing is real pretty, acoustic stuff. 
And then it stops for a second. Like it, it is. I'm like, this has nothing to do with anything. Sepultura. Why are you doing this? <laughs> like, but you know, I went through it, and you know, Inner Self is one of my favorite Sepultura songs, and you know, that's on here. And I mean, this is just a man. It is a punch to the nuts all the way through. So, uh, I, like I say, I, I really like the early Sepultura stuff. Which is which is kind of odd to say because I really don't get into screamer bands, you know. I have to have melody. Really, the only screaming band that I absolutely love is Pantera. Uh, I do like a lot of Slayer and Sepultura is another one. I love a lot of the Sepultura stuff. Uh, again, specifically Arise and obviously KSAD. I mean, I think everybody loves that record. But you know, Beneath the Remains is just a thrash fest, man. And God damn, they were playing fast. And I I think I kind of enjoy this record more now because. I read Max's autobiography and knowing knowing where he came from and the fact they were basically just like street kids that were absolutely penniless and yet they're writing this kind of music with this kind of like aggression and ability was just a really cool story. So um, did you ever get into this kind of stuff? Um, I had roots. Um, I'm familiar with uh, uh a little bit of chaos. I knew nothing at all about this album when it came out, and I okay. still know nothing about it. <laughs> other than you saying that it's awesome, so I'll take your yeah. word for it. I'm assuming it's uh, so this was this their first major label, then basically, or uh, if I remember right, this was their second record. I, I believe that uh, the first one was Schizophrenia. Um, okay. I'm trying to remember the. Let me look it up while we're talking here, real quick. I, yeah, I, I'm almost now. Mor- Morbid Visions was the first one in '86. Schizophrenia okay. was '87, and Beneath the Remains was '89. So this is okay. technically their third album. Um, Did you ever but, see them live? I I have not. I have not, dude. There, there's a ton of bands that I'm really into that I never got a chance to see live, and it really burns my ass because back then, I mean, this is the kind of stuff I would have gone to see. I mean, like you know, Chaos AD was. Um, 92 and roots was 94 and i would you know i would i i think roots is one of the most overrated metal records ever everyone's just like bows at the altar of that album and i'm just not i don't get it because it to me it was i mean coming off of ksed like yeah they simplified their sound a little bit but it was still just brutal and cool like and roots was just too much hey we're brazilian here's a bunch of brazilian shit i'm like okay like that's fine and all but i just i didn't i didn't dig it Wow, John's so. anti-Brazilian. Who would have known? <laughs> Shut up, man. <laughs> but yeah, no, I I didn't get to see him. My, my dad wouldn't let me go see concerts until I turned eighteen, and then at that point, like you know, when I when I did turn eighteen, I was the only one in my group of friends after high school that listened to stuff this heavy. So I never had anybody to go with, and I wasn't at the point where I am now, where I'm like, I don't give a shit if I'm going alone. I'm going to this damn show. You know, the only show I did with back then was the first concert I ever went to, which was Megadeth in 95 on the Euthanasia tour. You know, yeah. no one would go. I'm like, I was like, screw this. I'm not missing Megadeth. So, um, yeah, I did. I have not seen Sepultura. Well, actually, no. I, I take that back. I've seen Sepultura once, but it was the, they were main support for Testament a couple of years ago. Okay. It was like when the Agora had first opened. So I have seen it, but it's with Derek Green and the different drummer and stuff. And Yeah. Um, so... All right, so what do you have next on your list? So my number, what is this, number five uh, for yeah. me on uh, in reverse, I guess. I've got the yeah. self-titled from Badlands. Okay. All Ray, right. Ray Gillen, man, just a really, really underrated uh, guy that was gone way too early. Like, I mean, 
I that guy had a hell of a lot more stuff left to to do musically. I think. Yeah. <clears throat> and if there's if I think I brought this up before. I don't know if you know how the topic came up, but there are demos floating around on YouTube of him singing on uh, Sabbath Eternal Idol, which is the first uh, Tony Martin um, Sabbath album. Yep. You can see I actually have Sabbath uh, Headless Cross <laughs> behind me. That yep. did not make my list. That was one of my runners-ups, I guess. You could say. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, it starts out with High Wire. I mean, uh, Winter's Call is a beautiful, like, the, the way that starts out mellow and then just goes totally heavy. Um, Streets Cry Freedom, that's a that's like an anthemic rocker. Um, Devil's, Devil Stomp was cool, too. Like, yeah, it'd been forever since I listened to that album, man. And I, it, and um uh, yeah, I think they did. I can't remember if they did two or three. The one after it, I wasn't a huge fan of, but the original first one with, you know, of course, Jakey Lee on guitar, um, which I. Oh, that's I, right. Yeah, yeah. I think probably, other than Ultimate Sin, I think it's just the, the second best thing that Jakey Lee ever did was his first Badlands album. Versus. No, I've heard that, man. It's it's funny that I've never listened to them because a couple of my buddies absolutely swear by Badlands. And I've never gone and tried to listen to it. They only have what, like two records or something like that. It's some they have a small yeah, discography, don't they? they? I think they did two, and then they did something later. It's one of those weird bands where if you go on to Spotify, you can't find. I don't think you can find the first album. Same with these. Uh, since we're on topic, these these Sabbath uh, Tony Martin ones, they're not on Spotify. I don't know if they're on apple or, or amazon or all this and that but uh yeah definitely okay. you got to check out uh, the first badlands album you dig it man okay yeah like i say it's it's funny uh my buddy mikey loves th- this band and aiken swears by badlands and i've never bothered to check it out so again th- this is what's going to be cool like when you email me your list from your new work laptop since you destroyed your other one <laughs> um <laughs> you know I, i'll i'll have some cool stuff to listen to and be like ah damn how did i miss this so moving on to the next one on my list, this is number five, and I think this one is actually going to surprise you a little bit, and it might surprise a lot of people. It actually kind of surprised me, but I do remember that I really got into this into this record. I had about a six- to eight-month period my senior year of high school in 94 where I was super into this band, and this is not a popular record of theirs, I would say, but something about it I really got into. Uh, I have Nirvana bleach and it doesn't sound great chad channing is not a great drummer but there something about how raw it was and you know i i went back and listened to it for the the purposes of this show and i was like man like okay i could see why i would get into it and i did enjoy some songs on it It was it was an interesting listen when i wasn't you know if, if i'm tired of listening to thrash and all the heavy stuff i'm listening to like this was you know, interesting. And I remember that one of the reasons I got into Nirvana the little for the little tiny period of time that I did was because I, that's when I really started getting a little bit more proficient on drums, guitar, and bass. And I thought, well, if these idiots can make it, I can. <laughs> like, I can play all of this. Like, <laughs> so, you know, and it's always fascinated me that, that these guys ever made it and why people think that they're just revolutionary. I'm like, it's not great. It's. I just think that people hate hair metal so goddamn much that this comes along and they're like, "Yeah, Nirvana is like gonna save us." Like, holy crud! Adam Rishog says it. He says, "Wow, John didn't peg you for a Nirvana listener." I, Adam, I was really, really into them for, like I say, for a good six to eight months. I, I mean, 
this is going to really be surprising, but uh, Incesticide is my favorite Nirvana record, and, which is just a bunch of B-sides and stuff, but for some reason I really like it. Um, yeah, but there is something in this record that is so damn honest and raw and just something interesting about it. Again, I, I, I am shocked that someone listened to this band and went, yeah, this is the next big thing. Because you listen to Chad Channing's drumming and it's not tight. And it's got these like just dumb, like I just started playing drums three weeks ago, Phil's and man, it's just, it's not great, but I did enjoy this record. And when I went back and listened to it again, you know, for this show, I was like, all right, yeah, this, you know, if I'm listening to Nirvana, I'd listen to this in Incesticide. I mean, obviously, Nevermind is a classic and In Utero is a classic and whatnot, but I, I something about how ungodly raw and just honest this record is kind of is kind of cool to me. I mean, did you ever give a shit about <laughs> Nirvana at all? Uh so this so Girl was not on this, huh? No, this was the only one without him. They they replaced okay. Chad Channing after this record. Okay. So I I just looked it up now cuz I obviously just to see if I'd ever even heard any songs. So the only song I got, songs I heard on here, obviously they played them later, was about a girl and negative. Yeah. Um, yeah. So otherwise, I don't know anything about you know this this album. Obviously, yeah. I mean, I thought In Utero had some some cool stuff on it. I, you know, the whole like you said, did people hate hair metal? It's just you know everything new is old again, and everything old is new again, or whatever. You know, it's just like yeah, let's just strip it back down. You know, same thing that was done in the, you know. 70s or whatever you know they got tired of the motown stuff or whatever so it turned into this other you know what i mean like i think it it all it's always just constantly kind of hopefully it's always going to come back to you know just some really killer guitar stuff you know yeah or really kill, killer hammond organ or piano or elton john stuff you know what i mean like hopefully we no matter what happens but i was thinking this the other day not to get like uh i don't know super deep or anything but like <laughs> I mean, we're so like wrapped up in this, but it's like just think about like okay, like when Mozart was around, like there's never going to be anything this cool, you know what I mean? Like when Bach was around, there's never going to be anything. You know, yeah. This is such a small microcosm of like in the grand scheme of things. Like, what the hell is it going to sound like in 200 years? You know what I mean? Like, is there even going to be electric guitar? <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It's like not to get all philosophical, but like. You know, just just going on on face value and the way things are, like we don't sit around here and go, oh, let's play something that was two hundred years old now and put it on the radio. You know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't work that way, right? <laughs> well, I mean, Brian, we already know what music's going to be like in two hundred years. We've all seen Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> still, still one of my favorite celebrity cameos ever is Jim Martin at the beginning of that movie. He's like, "What a shithead." <laughs> That was that is still one of my all-time favorites, man. Um, yeah, uh, Joe Gebhardt, he says, I've always thought Nirvana were a bit overrated for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I I won't argue with you, man. Like, I, the, the weird thing is, like, everyone says, oh, they changed, they changed it, and all these bands followed them. I'm like, there's not really another band that sounds like them. When you think of a grunge band, you've got Nirvana, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, like Alice in Chains, and I'm like, yeah, but Nirvana's the only one that sounds like this. So... I, yeah you know whatever so moving on what is the next album on your list if you're in 1989 and you are not permitted to purchase when dream and day unite for whatever reason i fell in love with this band the second i saw the video and heard the single for new thing enough's enough i absolutely <laughs> love their first album man i think it is just 
it was a breath of fresh air. I mean, if people thought Nirvana was a breath of fresh air, I thought this was a breath of breath of fresh air off of some of the hair stuff. Like, I mean, Beatles, Elvis Costello, Cheap Trick influenced to a T, but I mean, harmonies for days on the vocals. I mean, every song on this album is like four and a half. I think five minutes is the longest. A lot of them are three and a half minutes. Okay. I mean, just, I mean, for now, Kiss the Clown, uh, Fly High Michelle, I think is one of the criminally, criminally underrated, just beautiful lyric song, you know, great, great song. Um, just super powerful. Like, but yeah, I mean, it, I, I always go back to this. I mean, if I got a long drive, like home from a gig, like, what am I going to put on? I don't know. It's just always inevitably I end up with this first enough, enough album and I'm singing the whole dumb thing. I'm like hoarse by the time I get through it, but I killed like 50 minutes of my drive and I'm, and I'm in a great mood, you know? It's awesome having those records, isn't it? Where you just, oh yeah, you put it in and like, I got a couple Van Halen records like that. Um, the, the mammoth WVH records like that for me, like it's just something you can always come back to and it just never, ever stops being awesome. Uh, it, I've never listened to Enough's Enough. Uh, Fly High Michelle is like their only their only quote unquote hit, isn't it? Yeah, well, there was a video for New Thing was before that. Um, okay, but I don't I don't know if I'd call that a hit. You know, it was probably played on the on the radio, maybe to the extent of something like Lay It Down, but not not okay, not even quite that big, obviously. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was their first single. But yeah, Fly High Michelle is probably the only thing considered a quote hit, and uh, just you know. I mean, their their story's been well documented. You know, it's like the record companies didn't really know what to do with them. You know, I mean, they were they were too damn good for their own good. I mean, they produced basically all their own stuff. They did. They were totally self contained. I mean, you know, Chip and Donnie did basically everything. They didn't need. If you heard interviews with them, you know, you know, Aiken knows those guys pretty well too. Like, it's like I think the one time they did bring in a producer, they're like, "Oh my god, we don't. What are we paying this guy for?" You know, <laughs> right? We don't. We know what we're supposed to sound like. And uh, yeah, yeah, just. I don't know. I, I wish that they had were were bigger, you know. I mean, but similar to like a Symphony X, you know, they I don't even think they can sadly if they were to tour here, I don't know if you'd get two hundred people there, you know. Yeah, I, I saw them a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic, opening for uh Tom Kiefer out in Akron. And it, it sounded to me like there were a ton of tracks and not the kind of tracks where it's like here's some keys, here's some horns. It was yeah, the, these guys aren't really singing this stuff. It was kind of Milli Vanilli-ish. But um, I, honestly, the most that I know about Enough's Enough is that I've hung out with Chips Enough a couple times, and he is an absolute kook. And like he's one of the nicest guys you will ever meet. But, dude, the way that guy portrays himself to everybody, that that's not an act. Like That is who that guy is. And I will say what is really cool, he hooked me up with um, – vip passes for one of the poison tours it, it was them and um I'm trying to remember who it was it was them and poison and a couple like one other two other bands at blossom and ship got me and my girlfriend backstage passes so that was really cool of him he's a super nice guy but you know that's really actually all i know about them so moving on to uh i have three more left this next record was released on august 4th of 1989 and if I walked into a record store and I wanted Wind Dreaming Day Unite, and they said, can't have it, got to pick something else, I would pick Practice What You Preach by Testament, one of the absolute classic Testament records. I am a huge Testament fan. Uh, 
this record is just awesome. I, this record would be awesome if it was just for the song "Practice What You Preach," but I mean, it. You know, this is I think when Testament really started coming into a, you know, their 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 element. I would say, I mean, it it's obviously more commercial than what they're doing now, but I think the songwriting definitely started advancing around this time. Uh, I I absolutely love this record, man. It is one of my favorites. I come back to it a lot, and I know that you are a big Testament fan. So, uh, what are your thoughts on this? Because did you buy this when it came out in '89? Were you a fan back that far? I bought it probably a year or two later. Actually, I didn't buy it right when it came out, um, but I was familiar with the uh, uh, one before. Was it No No World Order or No New Order. World Order? Yeah, or whatever it was called. Yeah, that one. So it was funny because when you look up, they actually had three albums in three years because Souls of Black was 90. So they did like literally back to back to back um, if you look it up online. But yeah, man, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, the time is coming. I mean, that's like, yeah, you hear that? Like, you hear, I don't know. It's like it sounds corny when I sing it, obviously. But I, Testament is one of those bands, you know, you're talking about like no one else sounds like Nirvana. Like no one else sounds like Chuck Belly. Like, yeah, it was just in no one else can can get those guitars intertwined the way they can i mean test or exodus does a cool job of it too there's a unique sound but testament man there's just something brutal about you know and like you said this was i think kind of the first sort of real real serious major label this was almost like maybe their i don't know ride the lightning or something possibly to jump start everything kind of you know just yeah this is when they were really going to take off but yeah i mean envy life was awesome too a greenhouse effect i remember that one but the time is coming especially and like you said the title track if they only put that out as one song you know <laughs> yeah crushing a brutal band and uh, they never disappoint you know i mean they definitely have a formula and they and and it's like you said they don't ever really stray too far from that they get a little bit heavier a little bit darker you know chuck billy gets a little bit better but you know so do me and you so who cares? <laughs> did, did did i ever did i ever tell you like about the first time i ever saw testament play I don't think so. Uh, I was opening for them on the low tour. And it was at Ron's Crossroads in Akron. So it was like a little bar. And those guys could barely fit on that stage. But I, I, I was, we were loading in and I was taking a piss. And this just like gorilla of a man comes next to me to take a piss. And out of, out of my peripheral vision, I was like, who the fuck is this guy? And I happen to look up. I'm like, oh, God, that's Chuck Billy. Holy fuck. And then I had this moment of going, okay, well, do I say hi to him while my dick is in my hand? Or like, <laughs> do I wait? Like, what do I do? So I waited, and I was like, hey, man, what's going on? I was like, hey, man, what are you doing? And I was like, ah, you know, taking a piss, loading. He's like, you playing tonight? I'm like, yep, we're opening for you. He's like, awesome, brother, awesome. You smoke? I'm like, nope. He's like, all right, well, see you later. <laughs> so, and, dude, when they got up there, Jesus Jesus Christ, I, I've never experienced anything that heavy in my life. I mean, they just come on and like they opened with low. So they did this intro and all of a sudden like that monstrous testament sound in a club that holds maybe 200 people. You're just like, what the holy shit? <laughs> Look at this asshole. Phil Ooze. 
Welcome to the show, you piece of shit. He says, men's stories. Typical John. Phil Ooze and I go way back on the classic metal show, and <laughs> Phil Ooze is absolutely one of the most legendary ball busters that I've ever met, and he loves to fuck with me. So, Phil, good to see you, brother. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I opened for Testament. So that's the first time I saw him, and it was it was a total blast. So, nice. um, All right, so next on your list. I have, and somebody brought this up. I don't know how far back we have to go to find the comments. Who was it that said Blue Murder self-titled? Yeah, uh, Be Cool or Be, Co- Be Podcast Out said Blue Murder self-titled Killer Supergroup. Yeah, uh, I don't know what your level of familiarity is with this album, but uh, to me, it's almost like every song other than maybe one, it's almost like if you took cashmere which is like the greatest zeppelin song ever the heaviness the plotting thunderousness of that with a soaring vocal blue murder does that to you for like 46 minutes basically (laughs) okay like uh uh, blue murder the song ptolemy i love that i love that song too like i I don't know man it's just it's and they're only a three-piece band i believe i don't even think they had it was carmine a piece or is it epicy i never know how you say that name he's on he's on drums I, honestly, I think it's a PC. <laughs> Is it a PC? Okay, well, I, I, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in your boat, dude. I don't know. But yeah, John Sykes. I mean, just so damn underrated. A Valley of the Kings. That's another one. I love that song, The Valley of the Kings. I don't know, man. It's just they're just these big sonic like rock, borderline metal. You know, almost like Viking type anthems. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right? They're just real driving. I mean, they're very. You know, they got a similar feel to stuff on Heaven and Hell, you know, kind of a little bit of that of that feel, but it's it's eighties up a little bit, you know, in terms of how the guitars sound and stuff. But uh yeah, I mean just so underrated as a as a singer, I think John Sykes is like I love his vocals on yeah. this. Of course his guitar is is great, but uh yeah, that 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 album was I, I don't know how many times I listened to it. Okay. Yeah, I I'm going to be honest here, and maybe I'm blaspheming to a lot of people. You didn't really sell me with the Cashmere reference because I don't think that's the greatest Zeppelin tune. It's not that I dislike it. I'm like, okay, it's cool. Um, but but if, I, if, I'm, if I'm going for a greatest Zeppelin song, it's not going to be one I'm picking. Uh, so, But I do love Led Zeppelin, so there's that. Uh, yeah, I, I have zero, zero knowledge of anything about this record. So I definitely... You know, would have to go check it out. It, I would, I would be completely new to it. So, um, yeah, John Sykes, I'm, I'm new to all. All of this would be a complete fresh listen for me. Yeah, so. you got, you got to check this one out, man. Okay, I will do that. Uh, I will check that one out if you check out the second to last album on my list, which was released on September 1st of 1989, and it reached the top of the Billboard chart. It is, of course, Motley Crue, Dr. Feelgood. And uh, I actually prefer Girls, Girls, Girls. If I'm listening to a Motley record, I'm a big Girls, Girls, Girls fan and obviously shout at the devil. Uh, but, I, you know, I, Dr. Feelgood at the time, I absolutely loved it. But I think as time has gone on, because it's so overplayed, it's one of those records that I kind of am like, eh, you know, because it's, it's become so overplayed. <laughs> And and also, they're a little tarnished for me because whenever I find out, you know, I've, I've said this on the show before. Whenever I find out a musician is a dick, like it kind of like, ugh, it it just doesn't 
it takes something away from the experience for me and knowing that Nikki's such a jerk and Vince is such a jerk and now especially Vince just like ballooning up like crazy and not being able to sing worth a damn it just kind of ruins it but at least back then you know I loved it and the one thing you can never ever deny about this album is the production this just sounds fucking enormous so you know and and granted it's all these songs are overplayed but they're overplayed for a reason and that that opening riff to the song Dr. Field is one of the heaviest damn things you'll ever hear from a non-metal band. You know, I mean I mean that that probably sold, you know, a million records right there. I know it did it for me. I was like, "Oh cool, there's a new Motley Crue record coming out. I hope it's good." And then the video comes on for Dr. Field and you know, oh, gug, 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 gug. I'm like, "Yeah, I'm buying that. I'm buying it just to listen to that riff over and over and over and over and over again." <laughs> so uh i know i know that you were into this type type of stuff back then so what are your thoughts on dr feel good yeah this album the highs are super high the lows are really really <laughs> low i mean you know, without without you horrible horrible song don't go away man i've always yeah. thought it was an awful awful song wait a minute like, really oh, this song would just go away you know <laughs> you don't like that song no i hate that song uh, time wow. for change is terrible. I mean, it, but like you said, you start out with that that the terror and tinsel town, like you, you know that freaky beginning, and you, you know almost kind of like sort of how Wildside starts crazy, and you go into that dung dung dung. I mean, it's so heavier. Like wow, Motley Crue got even heavier, you know. And I I will agree with you. I think Girls Girls Girls. I think that's my probably favorite album. Of theirs. I don't think there's a skipper on that one. That one and probably shout. There's, I don't think there's any skippers on this one, man. You know, probably the first four are fine. You know, Dr. Feelgood, Slice Your Pie is all right. Rattlesnake Shake is okay. Kickstart My Heart, obviously. That riff is just ingrained. It's overplayed, but that's so classic. But, uh, yeah, great production. But, man, some of those, I don't know, without you and the way that slide guitar, I don't know. It just, it's so whiny. <laughs> and it, it's just whiny and, like, I don't know. It's, it's just not, there's not enough there for a song for me on that one. Do you hate slide guitar as much as I hate slide guitar? No, it depends on how it's done. You know, I mean, if you're if, when you're doing it like in a s- slow bluesy style, I think it's okay. But when you're, I don't know, when oh. you're just sort of just slapping it on here and and, and something stupid like this, like I, I don't know, I, I I'll tolerate it if Slash is doing it. Otherwise, get it the hell away from me. I can't <laughs> yeah. stand that sound. I cannot stand that sound. The only time I like it is on the Slash tune, uh, "Beggars and Hangers On." Uh, like yeah. uh, other than that, like no, just stop that. Uh, look at the, Phil Ooze, man. I I was not familiar with this. I'll have to go check this out. He says the riff for Doctor Feelgood is a ripoff of Killing Joke's "Love Like Blood." I I am I have never heard a Killing Joke song. I don't think except for when Metallica covered them. So I will have to go check that out. Uh, so be be cool or be podcast out. He says, Soundgarden, Louder Than Love, was released in 1989. Great album as well. Uh, mentioning anything about Soundgarden being good is a way to get instantly banned from the chat on this show, just so we're clear on that. Um, yeah, there's some good songs on there. Come on. Uh, you can get banned from the show as well, my friend. I don't care if you're the co-host. Uh, Phil Ooze says, Sabotage, Gutter Ballet. That that was close for me, too. I, Sabotage is kind of cool. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering what your number one is going to be. But, yeah, Sabotage is a good one. I will say I I actually agree with you on on you know the skippable songs. You know you know what's a skippable song for me and always was was uh, Kickstart My Heart. Uh, something about that never really grabbed me. And I have to say, 
I, you know, same old situation, first of all, is a kick-ass killer rock song. But I really thought that when you were talking about bad songs, you were going to go with the low-hanging fruit of She Goes Down. <laughs> Everyone always mentions that song. As so, a quick story on that. You're going to laugh at this. Well, maybe you won't. Keep it clean. Okay. <laughs> one, of my, one of my first uh, jobs... After I decided to quit school, which <laughs> this was after I decided to quit college the first time. <laughs> now, I only I like, quit I like where this is going. <laughs> I only quit college once. Anyway, I, I quit and I, uh, I joined like a lounge band playing in hotels and stuff. And then I was just playing in regular bands and I had horrible jobs. One of one of my jobs was I was basically like the, a bus driver for like a daycare center, like just pick up the kids and take them, you know, in the morning and stuff. And, and you know, the ones that went half day, I had to take them back and go get them after school and stuff like that. Okay. So we had like a talent show where um, they were doing uh, like lip syncing. So, of course, everybody, this was a time when I believe MC Hammer was out. So everybody was going to be like, you know, you know can't touch this or whatever. So this yeah. kid's like, oh, I want to do, uh, this kid's like eight years old. I want to do Motley Crue. I'm like, so, well, what song? You know, she goes down. And I'm like, I say, do you know what this song is about? He's like, yeah, you know what <laughs> Like, I don't know. It's just one of the funniest, stupid, stupidest <laughs> conversations ever. And I'm like, well, just let him go. What he doesn't know and what no one else will know isn't going to hurt him. You know, no one else is going to be able to understand what he's thinking anyway. <laughs> well, dude, I actually have I actually have a, a, a kind of ridiculous story about this record as well. I, uh, you know, playing in the band, we were doing a wedding a couple of years ago. And for the daddy daughter dance they had a custom song that they made and it was it started out with your typical daddy daughter dance thing and then about halfway through you hear the record scratch and it goes into same old situation <laughs> and when they sent me this track i was like they're like oh you're gonna love it it's so funny we're so creative i was like okay that's cool it's something different and when i heard what they were playing I was like, oh my God, they don't know that this song is about lesbians. Like they, they, you know, and you know, the, the, you know, I really used to love her. Then the kitty she discovered, it's gotta be a sexual thing. Like, I'm like, are you even, are you even listening to this? <laughs> I mean, and I, I sent it to the guys in the band. I was like, you aren't even going to believe this. And they were like, okay, like what the hell? And my drummer isn't really, he's not into this type of music. So he's like, why is this bad? And I told him what the song's about. He's like, you got to be kidding me. So sure as hell, dude, we get to this wedding and here comes the daddy-daughter dance and it took every ounce of my self-control to not just fall on the ground screaming laughing. Like the other guys left because they were laughing their asses off. So they get to go outside, but I'm running the show. Like I'm DJing and running the volumes and everything. I had to sit there and just watch her and her dad dancing to this song. And I'm going, oh my God, they have no clue what this is about. It was phenomenal. Where was this, West Virginia or something? Oh, God. One of those podunk towns down where we play, man. But, oh, that was that. We still talk about that. Like, holy shit. Anytime we hear same old situation, we just laugh. So, uh, all right. So, what is next? I have one left on my list. You've got what, two? I have two, but we have Be Cool or Be Podcast Out has two of my runner's upses. Okay. The so cult, he's got Sonic Temple. Yeah. He, he also has? Uh, Black Sabbath Headless Cross, which is actually my background here. Yeah. All right. So, so those are your run- runners up or runner ups. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to announce this because it's technically not technical, but I was given permission by 
uh, Dan from uh, Discography Discussion that I may be on there to discuss the Tony Martin Sabbath era. Really? All right. So, yeah, he has to run it by Joe, I guess. Hopefully Joe gets it the okay. But, uh, yeah, he said definitely. So I have no idea when or anything, but uh, shout out to those guys at Discography Discussion. If we can make that happen, that would be awesome. Hey, you know, they owe you. I, Joe Joe was just on my Star Wars uh, nerd podcast last night, so I let Joe on. Now Dan has to let you on, so yeah. we'll do yeah, like, we'll do like a, a co-host trade. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, great, great tunes on, like the cult Sun King, you know, of course, Fire Woman. I mean, there would, probably wouldn't even be like nine other cult albums after that if it wasn't for Fire Woman. <laughs> right. I mean, the cult is a great, I mean, you know, they can basically pick the same three chords turn them around you know and make a song out of it almost every time but it's still like almost always kind of cool like i don't know just yeah i've got to see i think i saw him trying to think it was once or twice live and like uh, what you want is the cult opening for about 40 minutes that's perfect like you don't need any more than that you know you know you get your you get your big hits out of the way and you get some great guitar you know stuff from bill from billy duffy and uh but then, uh, yeah, Headless Cross, too. I mean, the title track, like Killing the Spirit World, some great songs on there. Okay. I'm, I'm not a cult fan, but uh, I'm going to take your word for it. So uh, we, we got a couple other ones, like Be Cool or Be Podcast. Out. This is Fate's Warning, Perfect Symmetry. Uh, yep. White, uh, Phil Ooze is saying White Snake, Slip of the Tongue, and the First Phantom Blue. Here's an interesting one. I got to go back and listen to this because like Dream Theater brings up this band all the time. We've talked about it. Um, be Cooler, Be Podcast Out says Marillion Seasons End. I really want to hear what that band is about because I like I like the you know the cover like or it's not a cover I suppose but on the um, what the hell is it called the Dream Theater live DVD from Once in a Lifetime. Um, but they have some of the footage from the Ronnie Scott's gig, and the guy from Marillion gets up there and they they play one of the songs, and it's kind of interesting. So, well, I, uh, I can tell you what you're going to think. <laughs> Trust me. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, now I really want to know. <laughs> now the first Phantom Blue that was one of those uh, Mike Varney bands, wasn't it? I I've never heard of Phantom Blue. So yeah, I'm almost positive it was one of those Mike Varney. I think it was like a dual guitar band, and I can't remember who was. In that, if it was someone famous, I'm imagining. But uh, okay, all right. So my number two. I don't think you would know that I'd have this on here. Okay, my all-time favorite lead singer uh, voice is John Waite. So I have the self-titled "Bad English." Wow. I didn't. Yeah. I did not know that at all. John Waite is your all-time favorite singer. Yeah, just in terms of just the voice, I just, I just love his actual tone. Like just, just okay. tone. You know, like yeah, just anything he sings. Yeah, I mean, this is just a clinic in how to write for that time period, accessible pop rock. You know, it's basically Journey. It's kind of a little bit heavier version of Journey on half of the album. You know, with John Waite on vocals is really what it is because you've got. You know, Jonathan Kane, you've got Neil Schoen. Uh, it's even got Dean Castronova, who would go on to be yeah. you know, Journey. Well, he's in Journey. No, he's not. Yeah, he is. No, he's not. Yeah, he is. Oh, <laughs> yeah. he's not. Oh, well, well he, now he's doing this. Now he's doing that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, I don't know. Every song on this album, I don't know if you ever got into bad English at all. Like, when not I really know. When I see you smile, it's like, I mean, that's just blah. You know, that that's nothing. They yeah. didn't even write. That's one of those Diane Warren, like, co-written songs. Okay. But like best of what I got, like is in there. I mean, heaven's a four letter word. I mean, just great rock and tunes. Neil Schoen just plays 
just, just does his journey stuff in there. Great melodic, you know, guitar playing. And uh, front to back, uh, every song on there. Yeah, that's that's another band I've never dug into. So I, I can't say that I would like it or not like it. So, again, I'll, I'll have to check. Especially, like, as soon as you say, you know, when I see you smile, like, yeah, that is kind of, I was like, okay, that's, like, top 40 shit to me, which I usually don't get into. But if you're saying that's kind of like an anomaly, then I'll definitely check that out. Um, again, like this is cool, man, to get into because there's so many things that I've not been exposed to and I'm kind of famous among my circle of friends, as you well know, as being a little bit narrow minded with what I listen to and minus a little bit, (laughs) (laughs) like I don't, I don't mean to be. It's just like my brain will just listen to something, go, well, this sounds like generic insert band I like. And then I turn off to it. It sucks. It sucks. All right, Phil Ooze with one good comment and one I'm not going to bother reading. Uh, No, we'll we'll bring it up. Let's let's, let's do this one first. I'll I'll let Phil bust me a couple times. He says, had the Village people released something in 89, John would have it on his list. Fuck you, Phil. (laughs) I love it, man. Uh, But yeah, so he also says, uh, vain, no respect. I'm yeah, not familiar I don't, with it. I don't know how I missed this because remember I put this on my backdrop when we were talking to. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you who, did. Who talking to. I found out someone had produced. I don't even remember what the correlation was, but yeah, I don't know how I missed that. This was that year. I, I love this Vane album front to back, man. Just three and a half minute, just blistering. I don't know. Punk, punk, hard rock. I guess you was almost what you call it. Yeah. Just, just dirty, grungy rock awesome all right well the last one on my list again these are in chronological order but this might be the best one so this album was released on december 11th of 1989 and it definitely 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 makes for a phenomenal christmas present because who wouldn't love getting the gift of monty python with monty python sings I love Monty Python. Nice. When I when I saw when I saw that Monty Python was had released this record then I was like, "Oh yeah, I know what I'm doing." So I mean, call it goofy whatever, but after a year of kick-ass records and all kinds of music, like let's just have some fun. So, I mean, all the stuff that's on here, dude, always look on the bright side of life, sit on my face, lumberjack song. I mean, every sperm is sacred i mean it's like a great it's a greatest hits record so you know never be rude to an arab you know i mean this it's got everything knights of the round table i mean dude the spam song it's just everything everything is on here if you if you thought monty python was funny you are going to you are going to love monty python sings and i know that this might be kind of a goofy selection but Dude, I'm a huge Monty Python fan, so I was like, oh, that's that's making the list. And, you know, it made it over stuff like, you know, the Tesla record and uh, Warrant, Dirty, Rotten, Filthy, Stinking Rich. You know, like, so that tells you what I think of Warrant. Like, I'd rather listen to Monty Python than Warrant. That's, Warrant is a band I just never – they're good, but I've never understood why they're so revered, and specifically the song Rainmaker – that everyone just says is absolutely godlike. And I'm like, I've listened to it like, why? I don't I don't understand it. Like I really feel like I'm missing something. So 
I, I don't get it. But yeah, so Monty Python sings. That that's the next one on my list. I don't think I need to ask about it because I don't even know if you give a shit about Monty Python. But <laughs> I feel better. Better get a bucket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good, man. I think I could still quote like ninety eight percent of uh, Holy Grail all the way through with with you know laser accuracy. I watched that damn movie so many times. Yeah, I remember uh, the show coming on at like eleven o'clock or whatever in St. Louis on Saturday nights, and you're just like watching this, and you're like, "What in the world is this?" Like, yeah, you know, some stuff was funny, and then some stuff was like, Psh, you know, I have no idea. Oh yeah, like, this, this is like too British for me or something. I guess you know, like, it's exactly I, what it is. It's so yeah. damn British, but the stuff that worked worked amazing, and the stuff that didn't, you're like, "Oh God, what is that?" <laughs> but you know, so, I mean, things like Life of Brian when he's when he's talking about wanting to have a baby, he's like. It's like, where's the fetus going to gestate in a box? (laughs) You know, lines like that. Like, you know, when when they're listening to Jesus speak and they can't quite hear him, and he's like, "Blessed is the meek." That's like, what did he say? He's like, "I think he said, blessed is the blessed are the cheesemakers." Like, what's so special about the cheesemakers? Always just talking about any, you know, in general, any makers of dairy products. (laughs) Like, that kind of humor is just phenomenal. So. Phil well, Lewis is on the same page. He says Python rules. Like he likes to make fun of me, Phil Lewis, but we are on the same page on a few things. So Yeah, well um, that that better get a bucket line like when the the guy keeps eating the waiter, like gives him something else. He does that dive over the hedges or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like just I don't know. There's just something about the look that dude has right before he's diving to get him <laughs> the like completely floats. Yeah. Would Monsieur like an after dinner mint? <laughs> Fuck <laughs> off, I'm full. I couldn't eat another bite. <laughs> That just explodes. <laughs> it's so vile. Oh, my Lord. All right. So before we get to your last one, uh, Kamikaze Crush, haven't seen you before, man. Thanks for tuning in. He says, has Tesla, the great radio controversy, been mentioned? Lizzie Borden, Master of Disguise, and Loudness, Soldier of Fortune are great ones. Uh, Brian actually had great radio controversy on his list. Lizzie Borden and uh, Loudness have not been mentioned. So good suggestions there. I'm not familiar with those records, but um, are you familiar with either of those? Uh, yeah, Loudness. I love the first uh, Thunder in the East. I love that one. Soldier Fortune. I had a couple good ones on it, I guess. Um, I think. I'm trying to think. Of, I think that might be the third one. Lightning Strikes had a couple, but they were. I don't, it was. It's hard. Like if you got two like really good songs on a loudness album like after the first one <laughs> I, I think that was like about all you're gonna get that was one of those voices too that it's kind of would start to grate on you a little bit you know like a guy that has like very little command of the english language and the, what he does hand it's like he's either gonna rock you or he's gonna bang you or you you know you gotta watch out for that nine to five and don't let the man get you down you know <laughs> like, <laughs> isn't isn't that the japanese band yeah yeah okay Phil Ooze, correct me if I'm wrong, but the very, very long-standing classic metal show joke about Handjob, isn't that from a Loudness song? Um, and while you're at it, he, he, Phil Ooze is saying, surprised you didn't mention Nirvana's Bleach. Am I banned? Uh, Phil Ooze, you must not have tuned in uh, at that point because I have mentioned Bleach. That actually did make my list. So, uh, Oh, by the I, way, I looked up Phantom Blue. I do remember this now. It's a chick band. Okay. Yeah. I'll, wow. I'll, maybe I can't say that word, but it's all. Yeah, I'll, I was gonna say, like, are we are we allowed to be that misogynist? Yeah, it's a I, chick band. Yeah. Well, all female band. I don't know. It was, but I think they were more like going for like the twin guitar, you know, as opposed to like I don't know, something like Vixen. I don't know. We'll have to go 
that's our homework, John. Let's go dig up all we can on Phantom Blue. <laughs> 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 Phil U says yes, it is from loudness is hang tough. Okay, so that's that's where the hand job joke on the classic metal show comes from. Okay, yeah. I, All I right, so I got to uh, real quick before we get that. I did get to see okay. loudness open for crew in Theater of Pain, and it was like we're going to rock you. you know what I mean? <laughs> but they uh, they did they rocked me. So yeah, we're going all the way to <laughs> He was not lying. I did get rocked. Yeah. So we'll go all, right. all the way to. Uh, all the way to my number one, which was mentioned a long, 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 long time ago. And yes, John knew that this was going to be in there. King's X Master Peach Gretchen goes to Nebraska. What did you just say? Master Peach? Yeah, it's King's X. I tell you, those boys are doing <laughs> What the hell was that? <laughs> I don't know. King's yeah, well, if you try to say an X and then S pretty quick, I think that's what it was. So, yeah, uh, I mean, this is just an incredible. Uh, opus epic of an album i mean there's three-part harmonies on every song it's tight as can be uh no one has ever pulled off this guitar tone before it's like it's one of those deals where like he would literally tight to board with like hide like mask over like all of his like pedals and his amps and everything because he didn't want anyone to see how he was getting this guitar sound <laughs> he pulled the eddie van halen of turning backwards yeah yeah basically um yeah he did not want anyone copying it, and uh, to this day, I mean, the you you know right away if Ty Tabor if it's a, one of his solo songs or if it's King's X song because that guitar just will buzz your head right over. I mean, I don't yeah. know. I just I, I love the idea too of two lead singers like you know Doug Pennick, um, you know, has the gospel-y, you know, rasp and stuff, and it just you know just so soulful and like just like just a just a real beautiful desperation to like his. You know, he's almost like in pain a lot of times when he's singing. I don't know. There's just something moving and emotional about it. And then you get like kind of the more John Lennon-y kind of, kind of a tone from uh, Tide Sabor. Um, and, you know, he takes over and sings lead on, I don't know, three or four of the songs. And it's just a, it's a nice balance, I think. Yeah. Th- I mean, this is this is a band. The most that I'm familiar with is uh, Doug Pinnock's guest spot on you know the Falling Into Infinity record. So I, I've never really listened to a lot of King's X, so I'll definitely have to check it out. But obviously, you know, for people that are into Prague, this, you know, this is their, you know, magnum opus, if you want to use want to use that term. And I, so I'm very familiar with at least, you know, the existence of this record, but I have never listened to it. So definitely one that I will go check out. Uh, again, it, it's it's kind of cool that you bring up some of these albums, especially this one, because there there was a lot of stuff on here I wondered if you would have and I and a lot of stuff that I wondered if we would kind of cross over together because I mean granted you listen to a lot more stuff than I do again I'm completely narrow minded you know unwillingly but it's just how I am and but but we do have a lot of similarities in the kind of stuff that we kind of get into and I think especially in terms of you know vocalists we kind of tend to like the same style of vocalist and we do like some of the same kind of progressive elements in a band. And I think King's X from the stuff I've heard is kind of something I'd be into. Into, And I know that you really enjoy them. So um, th- this is going to be definitely a record that I, I got to go check out. Is, is this like the high watermark for them? Is it like a, a severe drop-off for them with the rest of the catalog? Or I wouldn't say a severe drop-off. Um, I'd say the first three are really solid. Then they kind of start to you know sort of change and then kind of like we said before 
everything kind of comes back. It's okay. Phil Ooze just made a great point. Ear Candy is my favorite King's X album. So, like, the first three are amazing. Um, then you got to come back to um, 1995-ish or so, or 96 for Ear Candy. And uh, that that is a really, really solid. I think you would dig that album. The one bef- before that, I don't think you would like. It's real grungy. They they brought in Brendan O'Brien, you know, the oh yeah you know they did one of those albums and i think that was a i think that was a mistake but ear candy would probably would like most of the stuff on that okay Um, but yeah it's just a i don't know man it's i put them on the category of like another enough's enough you know like they they should have been there's a great story i mean they can probably i don't know how much he knows these guys or can tell you about them but like their manager literally stole like almost four hundred thousand dollars from these guys (laughs) like I mean, yeah, because they, they were actually making decent money on the, on the first couple albums. You know, it wasn't like they were selling two million units or anything. But then all of a sudden they're like, well, how come we're you know making all these videos and we're selling decent amount of albums and tickets? And how come we don't have any money? You know? <laughs> yeah. So this guy and this guy, his name was Sam something. They used to always go like, oh, he's the fourth member of the band. And he was like family and this and that. Yeah. This guy basically just robbed them blind. Every dollar. <laughs> I mean, it's, it sucks. It's sad. Like, yeah. You know, but uh so right, yeah, well. King's X. Uh, that had to be my number one. I did notice. So we had another good one on there. Voivod, Nothing Face. I am not a Voivod fan, man. Yeah, be cooler, be podcast out. Says Voivod, Nothing Face. We'll do a quick speed round here, but I am not a Voivod fan. I just I can't get into that band. They sound. All of their albums are really, really different. I don't know. I never know what they're trying to do. Like they had an album called Negatron that was almost like the first couple of ones were like sounded almost like exodus or something like some <laughs> yeah. crash metal and then you're like wait this is voivod and then uh so steve vi passion and warfare what are your thoughts on steve vi uh he's a great 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 player but i've listened to some of his stuff and i just i feel like he overplays a lot so i don't really get into that like i i like i like guys that can they can overplay, but they don't. You know, like, I mean, it is a Dream Theater podcast, so obviously Petrucci's like that. Marcos Fogli is a perfect example. That guy can just absolutely rip, but he doesn't. So, I, you know, I, I like when it's used as a trick, and I probably haven't listened to enough Steve Vai to kind of say he doesn't always do that. But the stuff I've heard, it's just like, dude, calm down, bro. <laughs> like, <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, he's kind of, I think he even played with Zappa. He has that Zappa stuff going on, which, you know, I mean, a musical genius, but, you know, after a while, like, your ears kind of like, okay, you know, like, yeah. Like, uh, so there's only one album. Let's see, there's two albums I had on my uh, runners ups is uh, <laughs> it on here. Uh, one of them was actually, there's, three so uh overkill years of decay i know you absolutely love that band (laughs) i i am indifferent i kind of overrated for me but yeah i think they're a tad overrated that's kind of considered their i guess their uh biggest album uh this was my actually my number nine it almost made my top eight uh i'll give quick mention this one tnt intuition love that album love tony harnell uh, the first three TNT albums, I think, are absolutely amazing. After that, it's pretty, pretty bad. <laughs> okay. I, Phil Ooze brings up a band that I could have sworn you were going to mention, and you totally missed an opportunity to bust out 
my favorite piece of clothing I've ever seen any of my friends wear, the infamous Brian Hendrickson Dangerous Toys hat. And Phil Lewis brings up the Dangerous Toys record from 1989. <laughs> I was waiting for it, even just as a joke. <laughs> oh, man. Because yeah. of that goddamn hat. <laughs> I should have. Yeah, that's one of those bands I wish I liked more. I I don't know. It, Jason McMaster is just uh, its one of those voices like, Scared is a pretty good song. Um, was it teasing and pleasing? The, I don't know, the first couple singles, but yeah, that, that hellacious acres or whatever. That's, I don't know that <laughs> the stuff since then. That's pretty rough, if you ask me. Yeah. So I got one more. I want to I want to mention to you, and then we can get out of here. Uh, what are your What's your opinion on Joe Satriani flying in a blue dream? I haven't listened to a lot of Satriani, but I do enjoy his stuff. This is one of the records I've listened to most of, and I I, I dig it. I, I would say this was kind of close to making my list. Do you do you get into Satriani at all? I do. I love the title track on this. Uh, where that starts do 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 do. That's a, such a cool yep. cool riff. Um, yeah. Loses a few points when decides. Hey, I'm gonna sing on a few songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll give you that. I just like, eh, and I don't even think he does that anymore when he plays live. It's like, dude, you got too many great instrumentals to be, you know. <laughs> I have the same thoughts as like when Alter Bridge, the last couple albums. Hey, let's have Tremonti sing a song. No, that's why you have Miles Kennedy. And I actually, uh, like, I like Tremonti's uh, voice. I like Tremonti's voice. There's nothing wrong there. I like his solo albums, but. Mark, you don't need to sing on an ultimate job. That's why we have. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you that. Like, if if you're gonna sing opposite your lead singer, don't make it when it's don't make it when you're make it opposite a singer like Miles Kennedy. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's just not that. a good idea. Yeah. So, well, man, th- this was fun, dude. I mean, we we can do all these you know different years and stuff like that. Like, we got ninety two and ninety four, ninety seven, all this kind of stuff. And again, getting up to, oh my god. I, I keep picturing what's going to happen when we have to do like 2021. Like here, here's the three records we'd buy. <laughs> here's the two yeah. that we've even heard of. Yeah, I know. It's well, yeah. I, 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 I tried looking up some later years when you came up with this concept concept and I was like, Oh boy, this is going to get rough. <laughs> like, yeah, we'll have so, to cut it down to probably like five or something for the newer ones. Just for yeah. your, or, like, or, oh, or combine, <laughs> combine years or something. But um, yeah, this was fun, man. This is a good idea. It was it was a cool little off show. Uh, next time, obviously, in two weeks, we are going to get back to some Dream Theater. So it will be Thursday, June second, at seven thirty p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So we're going to do that. After that, the schedule is going to get a little crazy because two weeks after that, I will actually be at Sammy Hagar in the Circle at Blossom Music Center, second row center. I I spent a shitload of money to splurge to get some kick-ass tickets to that show. So we might have to move the show date up a day to a Wednesday. And then, of course, we do have our very special off episode. I guess you'd call it an off episode. Um, It's basically going to be a bonus episode, but it's going to be on Saturday, June, June 25th, almost said January, Saturday, June 25th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That is going to be a very kick-ass episode, and we can't announce exactly what it's going to be just yet. we got a few weeks before we actually get confirmation on that, but once we can confirm it, we're going to spray it all over social media. There you go, Phil. I set you up for a joke there. 
Uh, but yeah, we're going to put it all over social media and stuff like that once we can confirm exactly what we are doing. But we are doing a show on Saturday, June 25th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time that you guys are not going to want to miss. And uh, don't forget, for all you Dream Theater fans out there, James Labrie's amazing new solo record, A Beautiful Shade of Grey, comes out tomorrow, uh, Friday, May 20th. So make sure to go buy your copy. I've got my vinyl copy coming in the mail probably tomorrow or the next day. So, Brian, this was this was awesome, man. Much appreciated for a very cool concept. And uh, I guess I'll see you in two weeks as we get back into Dream Theater world. Sounds awesome, man. Thanks, buddy. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, in the chat. Phil Ooze, it was great to see you again, man. Be cool or be podcast out. Good to see you, man. Kamikaze Crush, thanks for hanging out. Obviously, our good friends, Kale, uh, Kale McLeish, Adam Rishog, Robert Reams, uh, Joe Gebhardt. Thank you guys very much for hanging out. So for my co-host, Brian, I am John. Until next time, see you guys and carpe diem. Hey, everyone. Thanks for checking out Talking Into Infinity, a Dream Theater podcast. Just wanted to remind you that we want you to be a part of the show. If you give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at T-I-I-D-T podcast, We post the schedule of when we are recording the show live. It is a streaming video platform on our Facebook and YouTube pages, and it has a live chat feature where you can comment on the show, ask questions, and we can bring your remarks up on the screen and have you drive the conversation. So again, give us a like on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at T-I-I-D-T podcast, and come hang out with us and be a part of the show. Thanks again and carpe diem.